Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was April 25th, 1953. Scientists James Watson and Francis Crick announced their discovery of the structure of DNA in an article in the journal Nature. The article, titled Molecular Structure of Nucleic Acids, a structure for deoxyribose nucleic acid, began with the following statement. We wish to suggest a structure for the salt of deoxyribose nucleic acid, DNA. This structure has novel features which are of considerable biological interest. Nature also published shorter articles by scientists Maurice Wilkins and Rosalind Franklin, who had contributed to the discovery in that same issue after Watson and Crick's article. In 1962, Watson, Crick, and Wilkins received the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for the discovery. But Franklin, who died in 1958, did not receive widespread recognition for her contributions. The discovery was a watershed moment in the history of science, but it was one that became mired in controversy. The 1953 discovery of DNA structure came after decades of research. A Swiss chemist named Friedrich Miescher identified DNA, or what he called nucleon, as a distinct molecule in 1869. In 1944, Oswald Avery and his colleagues published a paper showing how genes are composed of DNA. Among other observations about DNA structure, Austrian biochemist Erwin Chargaff found out that adenine and thymine always appeared in equal amounts, as did cytosine and guanine. By the early 1950s, thanks to the work of scientists like Phoebus Levine, researchers knew that DNA was made of nucleotides, each of which contains a base, a molecule of sugar, and a molecule of phosphoric acid. The sugar was deoxyribose, and the four nitrogenous bases were adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine. But researchers did not know exactly what DNA looked like or how it was copied. In early 1953, Chemist Linus Pauling proposed an inaccurate model of DNA that showed it as a three-stranded helix. At the time, Watson and Crick were working at the University of Cambridge. Maurice Wilkins, Rosalind Franklin, and graduate student Raymond Gosling were at King's College London, using X-ray diffraction to study DNA. Franklin was experienced in X-ray crystallography, a technique that scientists use to determine the structure of crystals. When the crystallized form of a molecule is exposed to X-rays, the X-rays diffract and form a pattern that scientists can use to understand the molecule's structure. Franklin and Gosling took an X-ray diffraction photograph of a DNA molecule known as Photo 51 that looked like an X and revealed the molecule's helical structure. Wilkins, who spent time at Cavendish Laboratory at Cambridge with Crick, ended up showing Photo 51 to Watson. Watson and Crick, thrilled with Photo 51 and worried Pauling would beat them to the punch, proposed a new model for DNA structure. Watson and Crick did not do any of their own experiments. Instead, they relied on drawing conclusions from existing data, including Photo 51. The pair used data they got from an informal report Franklin gave to scientist Max Perutz at Cambridge, 
even though they didn't ask Franklin for permission to interpret the data. Ironically, Pauling had advanced the method of model building that made Watson and Crick's discovery possible. Watson and Crick shifted around cardboard cutouts of the molecules and, with the help of chemist Jerry Donahue, eventually figured out the structure of DNA. On February 28, 1953, Watson and Crick determined that DNA was a double-stranded, anti-parallel, right-handed helix. They found that the outside of the helix is made up of sugar phosphate backbones, and the inside is made up of hydrogen-bonded pairs of the nitrogenous bases. On April 25th, the journal Nature published Watson and Crick's findings, followed by articles from Franklin and Wilkins. In the paper, Watson and Crick described the structure of DNA. Crick's wife, Odile, created schematic drawings of the DNA double helix that accompanied the text. The discovery fueled a ton of scientific advancement, from DNA fingerprinting to genetic engineering. Franklin died of cancer in 1958, four years before Watson, Crick, and Wilkins were awarded the Nobel Prize. Nobel Prizes are not awarded posthumously. Watson published a book on the discovery of DNA structure in 1968. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about Rosalind Franklin, listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class called Rosalind Franklin, DNA's Dark Lady. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at TDIHC podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that brings you a new slice of history every day. The day was April 25th, 1917. American jazz singer Ella Fitzgerald was born. Fitzgerald has been affectionately dubbed the First Lady of Song. Ella Jane Fitzgerald was born in Newport News, Virginia. Her parents, William Fitzgerald and Temperance Fitzgerald, separated soon after she was born. Ella moved to Yonkers, New York with her mother, and they moved in with Temperance's boyfriend. Ella made friends easily in her new neighborhood, and she was already developing her interest in the arts. She studied music in school, sang in the glee club, and took piano lessons. She was exposed to formal music making through her family's attendance at the Bethany African Methodist Episcopal Church. She listened to artists like Bing Crosby, the Boswell Sisters, and Louis Armstrong. And she often went to Harlem to go to theaters. But when Ella was a teenager, her mother died. Ella's aunt, Virginia, stepped in to take care of her. She had a hard time adjusting to this change, and her grades dropped as she often skipped school. She was eventually sent to a reform school, where she was often beaten by the staff. In 1934, Ella competed in an amateur night at the Apollo Theater. While she had intended to go on stage and dance, she faced stiff competition in that arena, so she decided to sing instead. She sang The Object of My Affections by the Boswell Sisters, and the crowd loved her performance. She got first prize that day, and she went on to enter and win more talent contests. 
In January of 1935, Ella performed with the Tiny Bradshaw Band at the Harlem Opera House. There, she met drummer and bandleader Chick Webb. Soon, she began traveling with Webb's band as a singer. Her first recording, Love and Kisses, was released under the DECA label. She began performing with Webb's band at Harlem's Savoy Ballroom. And in 1938, she recorded a version of the nursery rhyme, A Tisket, A Tasket. The song was popular and performed well on the music charts, and Ella garnered more fame as a singer. After Webb died in 1939, the band continued under the name Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. The band performed well for a while, but broke up in 1942. At that point, Ella began her solo career. She recorded with Louis Armstrong, and she went on tour with Dizzy Gillespie's band in 1946, where she fell in love with bassist Ray Brown. The couple married and eventually adopted a son. Fitzgerald mastered scat singing, moving toward bebop as the swing era ended and jazz music changed rapidly. When she joined the Jazz at the Philharmonic tour and Norman Granz became her manager, her popularity shot up. Granz founded Verve Records to feature Fitzgerald's music. In the 1950s and 1960s, she recorded covers of other musicians' songs, like those of Cole Porter, Duke Ellington, and Johnny Mercer. And she made television appearances on shows like The Bing Crosby Show and The Ed Sullivan Show. Fitzgerald continued to tour around the world, and she recorded live concert albums. In 1974, she spent a couple of weeks in New York performing with Frank Sinatra and Count Basie. By the 1970s, her health was declining. Over the course of her career, she won 14 Grammy Awards, including one for Lifetime Achievement. And she was awarded the National Medal of Arts and the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1987 and 1992, respectively. By the 1990s, she had recorded more than 200 albums. She had continued to perform and record sporadically while dealing with respiratory and heart issues as well as diabetes, but she never fully recovered from surgery she had late in her life when her legs were amputated below the knees. She died in 1996. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions or just want to send us a nice note, you can send those to us via social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. You can also hit us up via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.